So I was actually thinking of summing it up, summing up the session uh, with some anecdotes that some encounters that I had, uh, my experiences, which very clearly proves that Krishna consciousness is the, the highest from whichever angle we look at it. So I will narrate three incidents So, once I was traveling from Dubai to Bombay and uh, next to me was a gentleman who was dressed in Western clothes and he looked very European. At first I thought him to be an European and uh, so I was sitting on the window seat, the first row of the plane window seat and he was sitting in the aisle seat next to mine and at one point he looked at me I looked at him and we smiled and he started to speak that person turned out to be the head of operation of Emirates Airlines in the eastern sector that is Bombay the head office is in Bombay and uh, I got to know that he actually told me that for Emirates, the eastern sector, which means actually India, is the biggest business arm. They get the maximum business from India. Anyway, so, <clears throat> and it turned out to be he is, a, he is an Arab from Dubai. And uh, his name is Oran Abbas. Uh, he is the head of the operation, very nice person, and we started to talk. Then our discussion actually led to that uh, Hinduism. And uh, he, at one point he asked that, why do you have many gods? <laughs> so as I explained to you all, uh, I told him the difference between uh, Devas and Bhagavan, the, in, the different uh, in-charges of different departments of an universe are the Devtas. He could relate to that, he could understand that. And I explained to him that there are innumerable universes, which was little, uh, little surprising to him, like he admitted that he never really thought of that. That he know, he, his understanding was that there is only one universe. And 
all these stars and planets and luminaries, you know, they are part of one universe. I explained to him, yeah, this is one universe, but there are innumerable such universes. And every universe has the sets of demigods. And in this way our discussions started and then I explained about Bhagavan. And I pointed out that whom you consider as Allah, he is actually Bhagavan according to our understanding. And anyway, in course of the discussion, he also mentioned that uh, he is actually a very religious-minded person. He, he believes in, you know, he is a very religious person. And he also told me how he became so religious. Uh, some years back, he, at that time, he was in Egypt. He was in Cairo as a training, of, for, as a part of his training in Emirates. And so he, uh, those days, it was actually in early 90s. And uh, he was telling that those days uh, mobile phones were not so common. Like nowadays everybody has a mobile phone. He had a mobile phone but he didn't yet, he used to use it for local calls but he did not so often call home. So one day it so happened he just phoned his home. He, he said that most of that was the first time that he actually used the mobile phone to call home. In those days you probably remembered like phone calls, international phone calls were not that common. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when he called, then he got to know that his best friend had a car accident. And, uh, and he immediately uh, took a flight back to Dubai and he soon after he arrived his friend actually left his body and he was telling me that that incident actually made him realize that there is something some supernatural power that is actually controlling things that he could not relate to why he made that phone call home. Like there was no reason, he never really called home like that and all of a sudden he called and and he gets the news of his friend having an accident and then he arrived, when he arrives his friend left his body. They must have been very, very close. So he said, from then onwards, he actually became very spiritual. I mean, he believed that there is some, his understanding was that there is something superior, supernatural. And uh, so, you see, the flight from Iraq, a flight from Dubai to Bombay is only about less than three hours. So it was not very long, and for about the whole time we were actually talking. 
and then he had many many questions and about, and i have i was naturally telling him about god's form and that form being uh, because the muslims as you know don't don't believe in god's form or they not only don't believe in god's form they forbid one to think of god with a form and i explained to him that how his form is spiritual that's why from a material conception we cannot understand what his form is like and that is why muhammad uh, actually told them not to imagine his form another thing is with whatever little knowledge i had about uh, uh, the middle east at that time during the time of muhammad that they were worshiping all kinds of things like they're worshiping you know all kinds of it was actually black magic that was they were into and that is what muhammad actually forbid and so we had a the bottom line is we had a very interesting discussion and at the end he told me that you know i never spoke to anyone like you meaning wearing saffron robe and and this is the first time i spoke and i must admit i got to know your religion so much better now so this is how we can see even a muslim can person if he is open he can actually appreciate what the vedas are explaining so this is one encounter i had with a muslim so another encounter i will narrate is few years back maybe four eight four yeah about four or five years back i was in rome and i decided to go to the vatican and so some devotees Uh, arranged for me to go there and they also came with me i think that there was about six of them that came with me and my secretary also was there so we went to vatican where how many of you have gone to the vatican it's very impressive very impressive i mean of course it is a development over hundreds of years it probably started in 14th century and uh, it's everything is so impressive like you see there are columns rows of columns pillars and you stand on one point and it looks like all these rows of columns look like one column i mean what an architectural genius and anyway i was very impressed to see the vatican and then i went inside and there actually you get the headphones so you have the headphones on and you can switch on to the channels in different languages english is one of them naturally 
And that actually gives you the descriptions, one by one, of all that there in the Vatican. And as you walk in, as you enter, right on your right-hand side, the first thing you see is Jesus on the lap of Mother Mary after crucifixion. And, and it was actually done by Michelangelo. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Michelangelo was only 21 years old when he did it, or even 18 years old, something like that. But you know, that was a, I mean, it's a, it's a work of a genius, right? Even at that age, about 18, 19 years old, you know, he sculpted that. Very impressive, right? and I started to just go one by one after another. And then I, I was completely absorbed watching the, the presentations and listening to the descriptions about that. And, and the boys with me, those who were with me, I noted, at one point I noticed that they're talking to one person, elderly person, kind of, he must have been in his late 50s or early 60s. And he was dressed in black suit and tie. I could understand, I looked like one of the uh, officials of uh, the Vatican. And I noticed that he was talking to our devotees. So I thought probably he is kind of working on them. Why did you become Hare Krishna? <laughs> so, but I thought, you know, I knew that these boys can handle themselves. And so I was just, I didn't pay any heed. I was just walking, going from one painting to another, one piece of art to another. And then at one point I saw that all the boys are looking at me and they're pointing towards me and that person also was looking at me and they were saying something. I thought, well, probably now I have to go and deal with him. <laughs> so I just recognizing the fact that they're actually uh, talking about me. So I walked up to them. And uh, one of the Italian devotees told me that he had a question and they were telling him that he should ask that question to me. And so, uh, so I asked him, like he didn't speak English, so they were translating, one of the boys translating from Italian to English and English to Italian to him. So that man actually, uh, the question actually was that I pray every day for two hours. I'm doing it for years, but I don't feel anything. Just as a, as a ritual, I just do it. Now why is that? Why there is no feeling? So, my immediate answer to that was that you have to recognize that God is a person and these prayers are actually a means of communication with Him. You are expressing your heart, your heart's feelings to Him. 
So he could not quite understand. I mean, like, you know, he had some questions leading to that, you know, he couldn't. So it needed further clarification. So I just asked him, do you have a son? He said, yes. And I told him, like, do you, how do you feel when you speak to him? And he said, yes, I like to speak to him, but he doesn't have any time for me. And so he started to tell about his son, like he is studying in the university and he has his girlfriend and he has his studies, he has his girlfriend, so he doesn't have any time for him. So I asked him, but don't you want to speak to him? He said, yes, I'm dying to speak to him, but he never speaks to me. <laughs> and <clears throat> so I told him that, now can you consider our Father God? He wants to speak to us, but we don't have the time to speak to him. And it's very nice that you're offering your prayers. Because when you are offering the prayers, you are actually speaking to Him. So do it with that understanding that you are speaking to Him and He is so happy to hear. Try to hear what He is, he is saying. Try to feel how He is feeling. Anyway, in this way our discussion went and he had thousands of questions actually. From that onwards, the first thing, first question actually came, but, uh, but I'm not his son, Jesus is his son. So I told him, if he is God the Father, is he the Father of only Jesus Christ? <laughs> so that made sense to him. He said, yes, that's true. <laughs> so I told him, if God is the super... I asked him, how many sons and daughters you have? He said, one son and three daughters. So he said, you have four children. Why should have God have, why should God have only one son? If he's the supreme, uh, why should he have one son? And besides that, you know, just try to understand that you are addressing him as the father. You are not saying he's the father of Jesus. You are saying God the father. That means your father also he is. So why don't you recognize that you are his son? And uh, just as you are eager to speak to your son, is it, he is also eager to speak to you. He is also eager to hear from you, communicate with you. And this is an expression of love. You are saying, love thy father, Lord the God, but how are you going to express your love? And in this way it went on and I just explained to him how God loves us. And how love is a two-way traffic. <coughs> like both the party has to love. Then only the love will be complete. If it is just one-sided, and I gave the example, a boy loves a girl, but the girl doesn't respond. How does the boy feel? It's heartbroken. 
I mean, he said, if I remember clearly, he said, terrible. So, so this is how uh, our conversation went. And then I started to point out that now, see, the boy loves the girl, the girl doesn't love him. But one day when he gets a note, the girl saying, I love you. How do you think the boy will feel? So now the God the Father loves us, but we are not responding. Is the love complete? No. Now when we say, when we tell him, I love you, how will you feel? Now your prayers are actually an expression of your love to him. But the thing is, you are not doing it with the proper understanding and proper feeling. That's why you are feeling that it's just a ritual. But it's not a ritual. It is a love affair. Anyway, this way our discussion went on for quite some time. As I mentioned, I was saying that Italian one of the Italian devotees was translating and he was saying something in Italian and he was translating into English. And then at the end, that person told me, you see, I have been in Vatican for the last 40 years. Uh, I've been connected to Vatican. Maybe as a young boy, he was connected to Vatican. It happens like choir boys and things. Like, you know, maybe the family is connected to Vatican from his childhood. He said that I have been connected to Vatican for more than 40 years. I have seen 10 popes and I have seen many cardinals, but I never heard anyone speak like you. <laughs> All glories to Srila Prabhupada. So this is what I actually mean that what we have is the highest. It will appeal to a Muslim, it will appeal to a Christian, it will appeal to everyone. And now I'll give you a quite a recent encounter with someone who is a Hindu. I was flying from Indore to Bombay. <clears throat> I was in the first row. Generally, I like to take seat 1A, a window seat on the first row. And just behind me, there was a couple. Uh, I didn't notice them, actually. Then, at one point, <coughs> that gentleman, uh, it was their husband and wife, middle-aged. And uh, he uh, asked me, Swamiji, can I talk to you? I said, no, can I ask you something? And he asked, he asked first thing, you know, from the seat, back seat, he was kind of talking to me, uh, who I was, and so I told him that I'm from ISKCON, Hare Krishna movement. And so then, uh, he, I think, yeah, at that time, he mentioned that I'm also a member of ISKCON, life member of ISKCON. Then I asked him, do you go to the temple? He said, no, once in a while I get some, get some invitation and 
but I don't really, didn't really go to a temple as such. And so then uh, he asked me, can I sit next to you? <laughs> so my sit next to me was empty. So he came and sat there. <clears throat> so we started to talk and uh, he was telling that, he was asking uh, whether the karma is the, uh, is the binding factor for everyone. Uh, everyone is subjected to karmic reactions. I said, yes, that's true. And then he asked, um, like, whatever is happening to us is a result of karma. Uh, I said, yes, and I, I was just, he was asking questions and I was actually giving the answers that, uh, and uh, so this way, uh, and the question started, I mean, conversation started. I could see that this person has some religious inclinations. So he accepted karma and he was saying that then uh, we are actually, we have to come back for our karmic result. So I also accepted that, yes. And then at one point he just, it led to the thing that karma is the thing and there is no way one can become free from karmic reactions because there is so much karma. Like in one life, the amount of karma we are generating, we are not able to exhaust all the karma. Therefore, the karma is keeps on piling up. Therefore, one is completely tied down to karmic reactions. And so uh, I said, yes, that's true. And then it led to the point that then one cannot become free from karmic reaction. One cannot become free from the bondage of material nature. Because there is so much karma that one has to come again and again and again to become free from karmic reactions. So at that point I said, no, there is a way to become free from karmic reactions. So he said, how? And I said, by surrendering to Krishna. And he had a little doubt about that, or he couldn't quite accept it straight away. So I gave the example of a prisoner. The prisoner is suffering in the prison house. And even the way he is acting in the prison house, that also is causing him action and reaction, and he becomes liable to uh, go through those action and reactions. But, uh, say for example, one is sentenced to life imprisonment. That means for his whole life he'll have to stay in the prison. Now, if he appeals to the king, and tells him, sends a message, 
I'm sorry for my crime and I promise that I'll never ever commit that crime. Can the king release him from the prison? So that made sense to him. Yes. So I said, if a king can do that to a prisoner, the king of kings, the supreme personality of Godhead, can do it to a living entity who is bound in this material nature. So he uh, <clears throat> uh, he asked, where is that? Where did you get that? So I said, it's in Bhagavad Gita. And I gave him the verse, Sarvadharma Paritaji. And I had my uh, pocket feather, so I took out my uh, <laughs> iPhone and really gave, took it out and gave it to him. And so he was, he was very happy to hear that. So, in this way, he started to ask questions. And I started to give the answers to those questions with the authority of Bhagavad Gita. And I was telling him that, look, I mean, what I am saying is not my words. These are Krishna's words. These are, this is what Krishna is telling us. And Anyway, the, that flight is only for one hour. So we had a very nice discussion during that one hour. And he also, uh, at the end of it, he told me that, you know, Swamiji, I have been meeting sadhus since my early days. Since my boyhood, my family was very pious. And sadhus used to come to our house. And practically I know all the big sadhus of India. But I never heard anyone speak about the things that the way you are presented to me. So from the Hindu perspective also we can see that what Srila Prabhupada gave is the highest and the best. Now that man became so close to me now that he made a con contract, <laughs> kind of sometimes it becomes difficult, it's a kind of contract and agreement, that whenever I come to Bombay, I have to inform him, and he would personally come and take me to, he wanted to take me to his house. So last couple of times I did that, and but last time, I couldn't go to his place, but he uh, came, picked me up, and took me to the temple. <laughs> he seems to be quite a yeah. One of the last visits, he actually organized a program with his friends, very I mean, his intimate friends. And when they came, at least there were six families, six couples came. And out of those six, three I could recognize are very big families in India. They're Marwaris, 
so they are, uh, he's their close. One person is the owner of Big Bazaar, Hemant uh, Biani. The other person, I knew that family from Calcutta, not that I heard them by name, a family called Himmat Sinka. So Himmat Sinka was there. <laughs> and uh, there was another family who is Agarwal, who is also very big. So all these people are very big people. And this person also is a very big person, like I spoke to somebody else once, you know, that about him. He said, oh, yeah, I know him. They actually manufacture electrodes. And they're one of the biggest manufacturers of electrodes. So anyway, and his name is Ashok. Elderly, he is in his 60s. And, uh, so the point is, like, here is a person who, you see one thing about the Marwari families, uh, that they are very pious. And they patronize the sadhu, especially the big families. Like uh, they would invite the sadhus and take care of them and have uh, a kind of, you know, close, quite a close relationship. And it was obvious that he also is very closely connected to many big, big parents people, I mean big sadhus of India. But he also admitted that none of those sadhus gave the information that we gave them. So that is what ISKCON stands for. ISKCON is distributing the highest knowledge in this world today. Whether we approach it, well, the point is whether one is a Muslim, or a Christian, or a Jew, or a Hindu, uh, they will admit, if they give a patient hearing, that this is the most profound spiritual wisdom. So that is what we got by the mercy of Srila Prabhupada. That is what we got by the mercy of Sri Chaitanya. Like if I look at myself, who was I? Like I was, I didn't have any knowledge at all. At one time I, was, I became interested about spiritual life. Uh, but you know, I also traveled around India searching for a guru. At that time I didn't really know what I was searching for. But one thing I became aware that all these people, I can't surrender to. Because one thing, one understanding was clear in my mind that when I accept a guru, I have to surrender him, surrender myself completely to him. And that's the feeling I got that, like, I'm not going, I can't surrender to these people. And, but when it came to Srila Prabhupada, it became instantaneous. My, my coming in contact with Srila Prabhupada was through the nectar devotion. <clears throat> I came in contact with ISKCON in the early 70s. I was in Germany, I was in Hamburg, and they had a temple there. Uh, one day I came out of the Menza, which is the university canteen, and I saw some devotees, uh, white devotees, 
dressed in Indian clothes, they are chanting Hare Krishna. It was an impressive sight and it kind of appealed to me because I was already missing home, <laughs> missing India. And to see that these people are dressed up in India, some girls were dressed up in saris and they were chanting Hare Krishna. And I was curious, I went and spoke to them. And they had some Back to Godhead magazine, so I took that. And then I, they invited me to come to a temple, I went to the temple. But that was about all, because uh, I got into a kind of a, a disagreement with the temple president, and I stopped going there. So much so that when I would see the devotees on this side of the road, I would go from that side of the road. Just avoid them. I never, when I went back to India in search of a guru. I never thought of joining ISKCON. I never thought that ISKCON would be the answer. You know, although I became, I, although I came in contact with ISKCON earlier, but you know, my impression of ISKCON was so different at that time. The nature of devotion, when I got it, I started to read it. From the very first page it happened, I became complete, I became, you know, like completely uh, convinced uh, that this is the way. That happened because of two things, uh, from the very first page actually. The first thing was, those days I was thinking that liberation is the goal of life. We used to use liberation or sometimes <coughs> emancipation, so spiritual emancipation. And I was thinking that, uh, I used to think that liberation is the goal of life and by following the process, which would meant go to the Himalayas and practice this process of yoga and all, and that's how you become liberated eventually. And, but when I started to read the nature of devotion, Prabhupada spoke about five kinds of liberation. And out of that, four are positive and one is negative. And I became painfully aware that the liberation that I was aspiring for was a negative liberation. <laughs> And the other thing that impressed me so much came to me like an awakening of realization. Prabhupada in very clear terms explained that God is a person. Prior to that my understanding of God was impersonal. So God is a person and Krishna is God. That made such a profound impact in me. Like, like any other Indian, I knew Krishna from my childhood. But no one ever explained to me with, in such clear terms that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God. Just these two things just completely blew my mind. And I felt that this is what I was looking for. And of course, the next night I had a dream. And in the dream I saw Srila Prabhupada. Anyway, so the point is that uh, initially we may not 
have been aware of what ISKCON is here to offer, but when you probe deeper into Srila Prabhupada's teachings, it becomes crystal clear. So it is this conviction comes with so much substance. It's not just some sentimental thing. Often I notice like the spiritual commitments and things, it's just a sentimental thing. I myself was practically drawn into some sort of groups and later on I realized it was only sentimental. Fortunately I did not join them or submit myself to them. I came very close to joining some ashrams. And one one ashram that was I was practically uh, ready to join. Mainly because the Sannasi who was who, who was kind of uh, uh, communicating with me or like, I developed a very nice, respectful relationship with him. He was elderly sannasi. Elderly means, at that time, probably he was about uh, 50 years old. And he belonged to Ananda Mahima. I don't know whether you know her. She was a very famous Bengali saint, lady saint. And had many, many followers. And like... Uh, because of this sannyasi Sarupananda Maharaj, I was, uh, he was her disciple. Because I liked him, because we developed a kind of a nice relationship. Like I did think, and he, since he was wanting me to join, and he took me to mother. And uh, like, because of his persuasion and all, I was about to submit myself. But it was she who actually saved me. He took me to her. I already had a few meetings with her already. And when he was, he presented that I was ready to join. She actually told me that he doesn't belong to us. He, to the, and this way, and it was kind of a shocking thing, to, because I was ready to <laughs> surrender, and she is not accepting me, <laughs> saying that I don't belong to uh, belong to their group or their <coughs> thing line, and at that time she actually told. But when he surrenders, then the whole world will come under his feet. So, but I thought it was just a kind of a consolation that she was giving. And then, like, I don't know what would have happened to me if I joined. Because once you join some group, it becomes very difficult to free yourself from that. So it was nice of her that she, she kind of, and so this way you can see that she has some some way to pers- have some clairvoyance or that she could see that I didn't belong to their group, that I belong to Srila Prabhupada. <laughs> so anyway, these are some experiences. I just wanted to relate them to you 
just to make you understand. I know that you are convinced about Krishna consciousness, but to reiterate, to re, uh, re-confirm that faith, you know, I thought I'd relate that this is the highest that you can, that anybody can ever have. Sometimes I tell people that I am, I am open. I am open to get the best. Now, if there is anything better than this, please tell me. I will accept it. I am ready to give up this if there is something better. But in the last 40 years, I haven't found anything better than this. I was open to, to get the best. And on the other hand, as the time is passing, my conviction is becoming stronger and stronger. My awareness that this is the highest becoming stronger and stronger, or reconfirmed. Like the thing is, there are other Vaishnava sampradayas, now we can see them. The Vaishnava sampradayas are the highest. There are karmi, gani, yogi. Beyond that is the Vaishnava. Bhakta means the Vaishnava. There are four Vaishnava sampradayas. But what is their destination? When they achieve the perfection, where will they go? Vaikuntha. But is there something beyond Vaikuntha? Yes. Beyond Vaikuntha is Vrindavan. So the message that we got, the Krishna's Krishna consciousness that we got is from Vrindavan, which is beyond Vaikuntha. So that is the highest. There cannot be anything beyond that. Hare Krishna, thank you all very much. So is there any question? Does anybody have any question? Please feel free to ask. Yes. Guru uh, could you... Yeah, take the mic. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Guru uh, You mentioned when Shri Prabhupada left, uh, there was things that weren't so... Um, or rather, you weren't... Uh, happy with what was going on in this con. What was it that made you, I'm sure you'd never, never left this con, but what made you uh, appreciate this con again and its situation? Well, the first thing is, by giving me sannas, Prabhupada closed the door behind me. <laughs> There's no way to turn back now. <laughs> and. That was, I'm very thankful to Srila Prabhupada. Because after Prabhupada left, it was actually a very difficult phase. Because this one had gone through lots of crises. And at a time of such crisis, you know, one may lose faith. And, but unfortunately, or rather fortunately, and that didn't happen to me. And I think my sannas order played a very important role in that. <clears throat> the other factors are, there are three instructions 
I consider to be most important instructions of Srila Prabhupada and those three instructions actually have saved me. Those three instructions are no matter whatever happens, don't leave Iskand. That's why when I give you all initiation, I ask you all to also promise that. Because that's what Srila Prabhupada wanted. No matter whatever happens, don't leave his God. Because in course of time I saw, like, where else can we go? Leaving his God, where can we go? On the other hand, you know, what ISKCON is giving, can I find that anywhere else? The second instruction, your love for me will be shown by how you cooperate with each other. So if we love Srila Prabhupada, then we have to cooperate with each other in this community of devotees. And the third one is, the GBC is the ultimate managing authority. And that automatically brings in another point. And this is, in this society, Srila Prabhupada is the founder of Acharya. This position of Srila Prabhupada will always be there. He will always remain the found, not only the founder of ISKCON, but as the Acharya of ISKCON. Guru of all the devotees of Iskon for all time. And GBC is there to hold this institution together. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Yes. <clears throat> Uh, two days ago you said about uh, uh, dissolve, uh, certain, uh, dissolving subtle body. Once subtle body is dissolved in, uh, in perfection of devotional service, can you say something about it? Dissolve means that subtle body consisting of mind, intelligence and false ego yeah. are not there anymore. That subtle body, the gross body is there, mm. but the subtle body is gone. Means mind, intelligence, uh, and is there. gone, and only the pure spirit soul is there. In this body, mm. the pure spirit soul is there yeah. without the subtle body. You mean that the mind, intelligence, ego is completely absorbed in. Christian ego has now become. So it dissolved means it's transformed. Ego has become servant of Krishna. And mind, I have become servant of Krishna. And mind, mind is completely absorbed in Krishna. Okay. And intelligence has turned into devotion, bhakti yoga. And we come to that platform. Is there any symptom before that in a devotee? Before that is Maya. <laughs> or oh, in between there is no uh, level? Uh, well, the Maya's influence gradually when. Okay. My influence gradually, gradually reduces and then pure spirit. So and no devotee, more Maya. And devotee can notice that one? That is going down. Devotees don't worry so much about okay. noticing. Okay. Uh, okay. Because devotees don't you see in 
Krishna consciousness means uh, that me consciousness is not there. The consciousness is completely absorbed in Krishna. Right? Now it is body consciousness. But spiritual consciousness is Krishna consciousness. Okay? So that means no more uh, what is happening to me, that consideration is not there. Like, you know, where, am I making advancement? Did I become a pure devotee? <laughs> What's, is everyone recognizing me as a pure devotee? No, these thoughts are not there anymore. Completely absorbed in Krishna. That is the meaning of Krishna. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, um, this is a question from Mother Mataji, she's very shy. Um, she's asking when someone is at the last stage of life, then um, one thing is what is their state of mind, because sometimes they're given very um, heavy medication, um, so they're not... Um, when someone is what? In the last stage of their life. Oh. Um, so that and so, how can we help them to remember Lord Krishna at that time? Like, what should we do? Because they could be um, in semi-consciousness. You see, when you have practiced Krishna consciousness for so many years, mm-hmm. and then you hear the holy name, then automatically you remember Krishna. In spite of all these drugs and all these poisons. And the other thing is that when one so sincerely serves Krishna for so many years, Krishna will remember. Thank you very much. So, there is a question. Kunvaras, yesterday uh, you mentioned that the uh, other people, like the British uh, government, also recognize that Hindus are the most uh, peaceful people and that it was because of the samskar. Can you please explain what you mean by the samskar? Well, uh, at least I can speak about myself. From my childhood I was told, don't tell a lie. From my childhood I was told, respect the superiors. From my childhood, I have been told, don't hurt anybody's feelings. From my childhood, I was told, respect women as your mother. So these are the samskars. From your childhood, you get the understanding. And as a result of that, you know, it remains in you and you cannot act in contrary to those ideas. And what to speak of the, the traditional influence, previous birth's influence. So that's all put together is called samskar. It reminds us about our duty to remain Krishna conscious. So that constant remember, reminder is very important. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna, Dilubai. Uh, Maharaj, when you joined ISKCON, when after how many years you took your sannyas? Was it straight away or was uh, it after some After time? joining, maybe about nine months. <laughs> about uh, six months after joining, about six months after joining, Prabhupada gave me some initiation during Gold Purnima festival. Was it immediately you took your sannyas as well? Not I took, Prabhupada gave me. <laughs> so three months after that.